Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 8th, 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the free audios. There's lots of them to choose from. And I go through the system you're born into and explain how it came to be about. It didn't evolve by itself. It wasn't natural evolution. It was a designed society, a designed system. And, of course, they used the old uh, communist techniques, of course, like the United Nations does as well, of 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 150-year plans for different parts of this long-term goal agenda to go towards global government. But not just global government, a type of government run by the people who believe it's their right to rule all the rest, you see. And they brought on academia on board with them. In fact, they put most of the big professors in the big academies and uh, to make sure that the proper doctrine is taught to all the newcomers. And it's been like that for an awful long time. A reality is given to us, in other words. And uh, the, the cards are definitely stacked against anyone who tries to find things out by themselves. It, you've got to, you really have to search for previous historians who lived through the, these times of changes uh, and kept track of what was going on and who was doing it and what their goals were. There's lots of information out there. So help yourself to the website, as I say. Remember, two, you're the audience that bring me to you, and you can help me keep going by just uh, buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com or donating. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office, or you can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. But we truly are living in a planned society. Most folk don't know it. They don't even know why there's so much chaos today. And the chaos is very, very easily explained if you just go through the changes, the revolutions, they call them, that took place from about the 1940s onwards to the present time. We're still going through parts of the same revolution uh, with a whole list of people to be freed, supposedly, to help destroy the, the old existing culture. That's the whole aim of the whole plan, in fact, in order to give you a new culture. And the culture really is obeyance to the new system. And we're all in it together, perpetual warfare forever, basically, uh, perpetual terrorism forever, and uh, and everyone is under suspicion. That's exactly how the communist system worked as well, because after they had sealed off their borders in Russia and overtook some of the countries and brought them into the, the bloc, they also did the same thing, that they find a reason to keep the, this military-type uh, system in place, and, and, and they went after counter-revolutionaries. They were everywhere. They were under everybody's beds, counter-revolutionaries. They even churned out stacks of movies about it to brainwash the people, just like we have here, in fact, by the Pentagon, about the terrorists who apparently are everywhere too. So it's the same system by the same people, by the way, who are running the system today. They own the media. They own pretty well all of the media. And that was part of their plans an awful long time ago. And I've gone through the history 
of how Rockefeller and others got together back in the 30s and found out, did a survey to see how many papers they'd have to own so that they could control the information for every American. And all the smaller papers would copy their allegiance. And they came to a magic number of about 30. Now they own them all, actually. It's just a handful of people in one club that own all of your news, whether visual or written or whatever. So we're living in that time. And it's not just America, it's across the world today. So standardization is very important for mass control. And they're guiding us through the changes, the plan changes into the new austerity system. Austerity because apparently, you see, you've all had it too good, all of you. No matter what country you've been in, you've all had it too good, according to those who rake in trillions off of your labor. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and with all this talk, of course, about gun confiscation because of violent acts, etc., uh, people overlook lots and lots of other topics related to it because, as I say, the, the system, the world system uh, declared an awful long time ago, even when it brought in the League of Nations before the United Nations, that eventually they would have a disarmed society across the whole planet except for their military force. The UN has repeated the same things over and over again, and there's even been a, a treaty signed by every country, in fact, at the time of uh, JFK, that they would uh, disarm the, the public worldwide to bring in this world of peace ruled by the authoritarian body, you see, the new authoritarian body. And uh, that way there'd be no repercussions or, or, or backlash against them if they went into austerity, obviously. And, of course, that's going to happen too, which is one reason why lots of these shootings will keep ca- happening until these big boys try and get their way. But you, you read the reports that come out, even from the so-called think tanks, that all work for the military as well, remember. And when they publish items for the public, it is for public consumption. And it's very schizophrenic because it always leave half of the story out. And here's one of the articles here, for instance. It says, media violence consumption increases the relative risk of aggression analysis shows. Thank God for experts, eh? Well, what do you do without experts to tell you stuff like this? And it says, uh, as president of the International Society for Research on Aggression, and as an international society, remember, for research on aggression, as is when the consent of organizations elected council, Craig Anderson appointed an international media violence commission last December to prepare a public statement on the known effects of media violence exposure based on the current state of scientific knowledge. Now remember, I've done screeds of stuff before on video games, for instance, they're all developed by the military to indoctrinate soldiers and to get them to, to kill on command, basically, without thinking at all and to desensitize them to actually killing real people. That's what the video games were meant to do. And so they're way ahead again. So here's this think tank that obviously knows all this stuff, but doesn't mention who puts all this stuff out or why it's being put out, all the violent stuff. Cause and effect, right? So they go through this hoopla here. It says, the Iowa State University Distinguished Professor of Psychology appointed 12 IRSA researchers to the commission, including Douglas Gentile, an ISU Associate Professor of Psychology. 
The Media Violence Commission's research-based report concludes that the research clearly shows that media violence consumption increases the relative risk of aggression. Well, thank God for experts, as I say, eh? Amazingly. See, the public have no brains because you you don't have all the letters behind your names, apparently. Defined as an international harm to another person or an intentional harm that could be to harm another person that could be verbal, relational, or physical. The report is published in September-October issue of the journal Aggressive Behaviour. Remember, the military wants aggressive behaviour. It's the first thing you're taught to do when you're in the military. You better get aggressive or you're going to get stomped on. So it's basically the commission looked at what does the research literature say? And it goes on and says this. Um, in the report, the commissioners wrote that aside from being sources of imitation, Violent images such as scenes in movies, games, or pictures in comic books act as triggers for activating aggressive thoughts and feelings already stored in memory. If these aggressive thoughts and feelings are activated over and over again because of repeated exposure to media violence, they become chronically accessible and thus more likely to influence behavior. In other words, it works just like designers at the Pentagon thought it would work. I mean, have you seen how many movies... These guys at the Pentagon promote and, and fund when they want lots of young idiots to go into the military and fight wars and they're given the most basic form of propaganda. That's all, all it takes now is very simple propaganda and away they go and fight wars. Well, they use all these techniques on them, you see. And for over 20 odd years, 30 years really now, they've been giving you nothing but more violence, more violence and blood and guts in the movies. And you can't even see who's the bad guy or the good guy anymore, except the good guy ends up getting the blonde, and he's got a badge at the end of the show as well. So he must be the good guy, because he slaughters as much as the bad guys. And that's the message to children. That's what they get out of it. They don't want to be the weakling. They want to be the guy who wins. So they admit here that scenes in the movies and games and so on are stored in memory, and then over and over again with repetition, uh, they become chronically accessible, and then they can they start to mimic the behavior, they, they, they show the behavior, they manifest the behavior. And that's the same with sex as well, because the same group that, that wanted to destroy your cultures across the world are, and brought you psychiatry, for instance, uh, are also into the same uh, dis- destruction of all your cultures, including making sure that the end of marriage, the plank of the manifesto, again, destroy the family unit. It's all been done, folks. And the children don't have the parents they used to have, or at least one person at home. They would see little Johnny playing outside the window there and sword fencing with his pals with sharp sticks and, 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 and let them know enough of that, you know, when the time came, enough of that. And that's, that's how folk were trained. All the young boys went through it when I was small. And they had toy guns and they had toy swords and all the rest of it, but no one got hurt. And they didn't grow up to be crazy either. Because someone was there watching them. And if your mother wasn't there, a neighbor was watching you. Because all the women used to do that. Because at that time, they weren't running after the almighty dollar. So the destruction of the family unit helped this come into to play, to being. And also, too, they found out with lots of the gangs in the U.S. and elsewhere across the world now, and Britain, uh, they don't have uh, fathers. There's no male role model there at all. And today's uh, generation, the dad is seldom involved even with the children. Is either too busy or the children are being taught to ignore their parents, which is through all the comedy shows that you watch, especially ignore dad, uh, or they're into their electronic games. 
and this is uh, this is finished off the, the family unit basically, or, or passing on um, what you thought is, you'd think of as, as morality to help them through life. It's done, you see. Remember what Bertrand Russell says. Um, Lord Bertrand Russell says about this. He says eventually, he says the state will give the new morality to the children. That's been done. The state also includes the media and all the movies and entertainment. It's been done. That's where they get their morality from, the new morality. And he actually said, too, that he thought that one time they'd have to remove the children from the parents because the parents of the old culture were contaminated with old ideas. Contamination was a communist term, too, they used. And therefore, the state would have to give them the new uh, morality. It has been done. So here's all these experts in this article here uh, coming up with their lofty thoughts about what happens. Stuff we all know, of course. You watch Blood and Guts over and over again. If you watch pornography over and over again, you're going to start to imitate what you see. It says, and especially children. It says, one may also become more vigilant for hostility and aggression in the world and therefore begin to feel some ambiguous actions by others, such as being bumped in a crowded room, are deliberate acts of provocation, the commission wrote in the report. The commission recommends that parents know what media their children and adolescents are using. Now, I don't think if that, I don't think that's even possible these days. Because if they're not watching it in your house, they're watching it somewhere else on their own cell phones or something like that. Rating system, they go back to the old story of rating systems, which is absolute rubbish. Absolute nonsensical, because it's rated at all, the the child is going to want to get a hold of it. And they will. And then parents can also set limits on screen use. So this is a big foundation academy talking about their expert opinions. They don't mention the destruction of the family unit. They don't mention the military funds most of these aggressive movies. And blood and guts and blood and guts all through them. The latest Judge uh, Dredd one is just one slaughterhouse right through the whole movie from beginning to end with with minimalistic speech at all. Just little sentences here and there, probably stretching to about a paragraph in the whole movie. And the rest of it, they probably fired more blank bullets than they did live ones in, in World War II making that movie. And that's what the children are fed. That's what they're fed, folks. This is deliberate. This is deliberate. So the parents are at fault here, according to them. The commission recommends improving media ratings. Like, that's going to make any difference again, too. The same old stuff, same old stuff, same old stuff. This is about the other pieces, education. If parents aren't educated, not just about what the rating system does, but also about why it's important for them to take control of their children's media diet, then it doesn't matter how good the rating system is because they're going to ignore it anyway, he added. Thank God for experts, eh? Well, here's another spin on it, you see. And you have to go outside the box to, to get the other spins on it. And you can, you can actually go into um, articles. Let me see if I can find this one here. It's uh, this one here. It's just why Americans cannot discipline their children. And it says, it says here, the ultimate reason that Americans are unable to discipline their children is that give, they have no authority over them. The American state, together with private industry, especially the helping professions like psychiatry and psychology and so on, have usurped the authority in local parentis, thus empowering physicians, psychologists, judges, social workers, dentists, and other health workers by, in effect, reducing people to parental incompetence. American children run amok, throw tantrums in the terrible twos and fearsome fours. All these terms come from your talk shows on television. 
and commit indignities against their parents and maliciously disobey them, such as to shock the rest of the world. As Ida Leshen in 1985 published a book called When Your Child Drives You Crazy, children's actual socialization comes from the ever-present babysitter, which is television, and the school, which gives you your doctrine, and neighborhood pals and their interaction at play. American parents are reduced to their entertainers, their meal tickets and gift givers. Now, Bertrand Russell, who helped plan this part that you're living through today of culture change, who gave you everything that's happened, he was a big, big part of the world think tanks on this. Bertrand Russell also said that he says, we used to think that we'd have to take children from their parents at birth. But now with scientific indoctrination at school, it says that they can go home afterwards, and it doesn't matter what the parents try to say to them, that the scientific indoctrination will make the child reject the parents' advice. That has worked. I'll be back on this after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt discussing this article here about Americans cannot discipline their children, it says, and bring in Bertrand Russell, who said that eventually the only function the American parent will have is, is for providing economic support for the child, in other words, raising the child just by giving them cash. The state would be in charge. And that's happened, folks. Remember, too, they also brought Dr. Spock in. Dr. Spock, don't scold your child. Don't spank your child, all that kind of stuff. It's interesting that the end, once they've been very successful in pushing this over, because remember, there's a war going on to destroy your culture and your families and whole bits. This is all part of it. Spock was part of it. He said at the very end of his life, he said that we've raised a nation of psychopaths because of lack of discipline. But again, it's with help, again, from the media and so on and entertainment. Now, it says, American parents are reduced to their entertainers for children, their meal tickets and gift givers. The U.S., the glorification of consumption, the warfare of status, materialism, see the parents constantly showering their children with presents, all too often in place of true love and affection. The mother resorts to shrewishness and constant nagging to obtain minimal obedience from her children. While the deadbeat American husband and father, that's how he's portrayed in all the colonies and so on, has emotionally abandoned the family and takes little part in family life. A 1971 study by college psychologists of fathers in the Boston area found they spent a grand total of 37 seconds a day on average spending time with their infants. Parents do not guide, comfort, govern, teach, nurse, control, restrain, or mentor their children, although they are fond of giving them a good teasing now and then. Sadly, the author has observed thousands of times children crying and reaching out in misery and just begging for comfort and reassurance from parents who stand there helplessly as if paralyzed or moronic as to what to do, or they insensitively, without any insight, scold their offspring for being crybabies. The bewildered parents simply do not know what to do, and the surfeit of advice from so-called experts, which has increased exponentially since 1945, has ameliorated the problem not at all. Mothers who digitally study Clinton, uh, Chilton, like manuals to learn maternal instincts, are still incompetent, and the malaise has only intensified after that year. Because, you understand, the whole... When I was young, uh, when women had children, quite naturally, as they always do, quite naturally... Uh, it was no surprise, 
and um, and being pregnant wasn't treated as an illness, by the way. And they didn't have to go to hospital for exercises and advice from experts on what to expect because, you see, their mothers had been through it, their other relatives had been through it, people in the street had been through it, and they all talked to each other. And they knew what to expect. They knew how to deal with simple, simple uh, things that came along. They were not problems. And it says, permissive child-rearing, the way the Americans raise their children, may seem to be an issue championed and criticized by conservatives. James Dobson, a conservative, wrote, The bestseller, Dare to Discipline, the chief virtue of which may lie in the sensible message of its title. The Duke of Windsor King, remarked in 1957, The thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. And it's a fact, it's how fast it happened with uh, the big push with the Frankfurt School and all the rest of them who put psychiatry to the front and brought in the Freudian disciplines and to tell all that nonsense destroyed people's own logic and even it, it, it lost their, their ability to even value their own thoughts. I, I can't be right, they must be right, the specialists must be right, you see. It says, but actually criticism of an effective action against permissive child reading ought to be a cause of radicalism. And it goes on and on and on about how bad it is. But you understand there's been a war on and you're living through part of it. And the fallout and the chaos is all part of it too. Society has been wrecked for most people out there. Completely wrecked. And the ones who are being wrecked uh, are still glued to the television that mocks them. When they, with their sitcoms and their, and their comedies and so on, it mocks them and they're laughing at themselves, being mocked by those who help destroy you. You throw that darn thing out the window, that television set. I'm telling you, you got to do it. And getting back to this con again from those who want to disarm the public in the U.S. Because remember, the U.S. is not a British colony. At least it wasn't, put that way. It may, it may be again after the CFR got established in there because it's part of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They run the whole country and the media and the politics. But um, you remember too that if a science is a science, like psychiatry, I call it trick cyclists, you know, the psychiatrists, because that's what, that's what it really is. It's a joke. But um, it, was, it was brought in as a weapon. In fact, when Freud was brought into, across to, to see America and New York, he says, I'm not bringing them help. He says, I'm bringing them a plague. Now, these are his words. Check it up. It's in his own memoirs. To destroy, you understand. Anyway, they're always blaming the parents or whatever for school violence or guns. And it's so true. What happened in Rwanda when the Tutsis and the Hutus were at it together? I mean, you had thousands of people with machetes they just kept slashing at people for days and days and days. It doesn't matter what they're using. It's not really matter what they're using. They should be asking, why is this happening in the States? Apart from all the, the ridiculous things they will not tell you about these. Even when they put um, gag controls over news stories so you don't know what's happening in these so-called school shootings, uh, it makes you suspicious as well. Why won't they tell you what happened? How can you have a debate about anything until you find out what happens? With all parties, anyone involved, you cannot get a, a proper debate because they don't want a proper debate. They want to simply ban the firearms that, that, that were the weapon of choice at the time. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the Matrix and talking about psychiatry and its big role is pretending that it's a real science. And really, psychiatrists today don't bother so much with psychotherapy. They simply dish out the pills. That's all they do. And try this one or try that one. And it's all try, try, try. There's, there's been many exposés of folk going into psychiatrists' office with cameras, you know, hidden cameras, uh, and going from one psychiatrist to another with the same complaints and getting a completely different diagnosis from each one and different medications from each one. So it's a joke. It's part of the control mechanism. And, of course, those who deemed that they were the dominant minority who should rule the world said that. That was part of their strategy a long time ago, uh, that they'd have to use psychiatry and promote it because they believed, or as I mean, the people believe, that everyone who opposed multiculturalism and a global government were psych- psych- psychologically ill and pathologically ill, actually, they said. And that's still repeated today, the high uh, quarters and, and the enchilons and so on. So here's an article from France. I mean, psychiatrists should be held to account. They call it a doctrine, and, and, and then it should be held to account, right? A French psychiatrist whose patient hacked an elderly man to death was found guilty of manslaughter on Tuesday in a groundbreaking case that could affect the way patients are treated. A court in Marseille uh, in France said Daniel Canarelli, 58, had committed a grave error by failing to recognize the public danger posed by Joelle Gallard, her patient of four years. Gallard hacked to death 80-year-old Germaine Trabouc with an axe in March 2004 in Gap in the Alps region of southeastern France. 20 days after fleeing a consultation with Canarelli at Marseille's Edouard Toulouse Hospital, uh, Canarelli was handed a one-year prison sentence in order to pay 8,500 euros to the victim's children. In the first case of its kind in France, defence lawyers said the ruling would have serious repercussions for treatment of the mentally ill. If a psychiatrist lives in fear of being sentenced, it will have a very real consequence and probably lead to harsher treatment of patients, said Canarelli's lawyer, Sylvain Pontier. Well, of course they'll say that. But the fact is, you see, she didn't notify the authorities this, this lunatic was on the loose. Uh, they wanted to go and kill this particular person who, in any, actually, what he did, he, he just went straight to him and, you know, hacked him to pieces. So, they should be held to account. And all these school shootings that you see too, it's always the same story. The person's been on drugs, they're seeing a psychiatrist, often military psychiatrist, strange enough, even the one they hadn't done Blaine in Scotland, they were seeing a military psychiatrist. And, um, and of course, the guy who was a perpetrator wasn't a member of the military. It's kind of interesting that in itself. But uh, the psychiatrists keep it all to themselves, you see. And suddenly these folk go crazy and they go and do a mass shooting, which always ends up in the papers uh, for, the, for the big call for gun control, you see. Always fulfills its destiny. And it's used awfully, awfully frequently today, this kind of thing, by those who have to destroy the culture. You understand, the culture's pretty well had it. It truly has. There's only a few folk here and there any sense of morality, the old morality at all. And with old morality, you had a, a real culture. And even if you didn't believe in your given culture, the one you're born into of religion, 
at least you still understood its basic uh, tenets and laws. And that gave you a morality that you followed whether you liked it or not. You did. Everybody did. So that had to be awfully uh, well demolished, and it has been really demolished now as well. So I'll put this link up tonight as well. Also, in between stories here, people don't know about the fracking, the fracking, not just fracking that's going on. There's geothermal testing going on. We're trying to tap into volcanoes, folks, and uh, explode the upper crusts and tap the, the geothermal heat and so on that comes out of it for future energy. This article says a Seattle-based energy company has now finished creating miniature earthquakes in central Oregon. This is Alter Rock Energy of Seattle wanted to see if they could expand an exploratory geothermal well dug by another company into a geothermal reservoir. Executives said they did just that. Start in October, Alter Rock pumped cold, cold water into the 10,600-foot well. That's quite deep, you know, uh, which is near Newbury, the crater. When the cold water in the hot rock deep in the well, it says, with it getting pumped in, it created fractures which would serve as a reservoir. The bend bulletin says the firm also pumped in bits of biodegradable plastic to clog the newly created cracks. This allows the cold water to create even more fractures after rock finished that work on December the 7th. All this fracturing created tiny earthquakes in the region. Scientists reported 26 seismic events of magnitude 1 or greater since October. Residents had expressed concerns over the possibility of larger earthquakes and over the use of plastics and chemicals in the water. Well, I'd say so. And the U.S. Geological Survey did monitor the project, and there is a final public meeting about the experiment to be held at the end of this month, January. So we'll keep an eye on that one to see what they do with their earthquake making and earth crust blasting. And also, I'll put up tonight too, one I'll put up many times before, it's one of the top uh, pioneers in creating uh, uh, vaccines. Uh, It's a YouTube readmits about adding cancer cells and, and viruses to the vaccines and how they all knew it and so on and so on. I'll put that up again tonight too for those who want to have a look at it. Now, talking about drugs and psychiatry and so on, and it's no secret to those who follow Jane's magazine, I think 20 years ago they talked about the, 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 the pharma soldier of the future who would have been a kind of numb state as far as feelings went, he'd be a great soldier and a good guy to go out and slaughter people. And they've achieved it. But what a cost too, because now suicides in the US Army are, have overtaken um, all other kinds of uh, accidents that happened to them were getting shot or whatever. Suicides. Since last year, the Pentagon spent more on pills, injections, and vaccines than it did on Black Hawk helicopters, Abram tanks, Hercules C-130 cargo planes, and Patriot missiles combined. Some of the prescription drugs that have fueled the military's skyrocketing pharmaceutical budget are the same ones that have medicated the civilian world over the past decade. Since 2002, the Department of Defense has spent more than $5 billion on Lipitor, Plavix, Advair, Nexium, and Singulair. Rather than a reflection of the drugs needed to treat wounded troops, the top-selling prescriptions signal an increase in aging military retirees covered by the military's health program. Tricare with drugs for arthritis, osteoporosis, and diabetes costing billions. 
the Department of Defense also spent more than $380 million on erectile dysfunction drugs and $230 million on testosterone therapy drugs over the decade. They really pumped them up with amazing amounts of testosterone. It causes awful problems, mind you, uh, down the road too. And it shrinks her testicles, as some people who are awfully famous actors found out. But the military drug purchases also paint a picture of uh, a fighting force increasingly reliant on antidepressants, psychotropic drugs, and powerful narcotic painkillers that critics call dangerous and have been involved in a growing number of prescription drug overdoses. The military spent at least $2.7 billion in, on antidepressants and more than $1.6 billion on opioid painkillers such as oxycontin and hydrocodone over the past decade. More than $507 million was spent on the sleeping pill Ambien and its generic equivalents. The the details come from an unprecedented American statesman analysis of nearly every individual drug purchase made by the Department of Defense since 2002. The paper's analysis also showed that many drug manufacturers saw their revenue from military sales soar over a decade that featured two wars and a large influx of beneficiaries covered by TRICARE, the military's health program. They were led by a giant Pfizer corporation with more than $8 billion in sales from the Department of Defense since 2002. Abbott's sales sales jumped nearly 300% and Novartis more than doubled its military sales to around $400 million in 2011, according to data provided by the military. In one sense, the drug analysis is but another reminder of skyrocketing healthcare costs. Veterans groups say paying for the health needs of America's fighting forces and retirees is a cost of war and part of the nation's moral debt to its troops. Yet experts say that the rapidly rising cost of health care for active and retired service members, the overall military health budget has nearly doubled since 2002, could imperil the nation's safety by potentially siphoning off money that needs to be spent for training and weapons system. High-priced specialty drugs in particular will continue to drive military drug spending, predicted Jim Wilson, the University of Texas College of Pharmacy professor and former head of the Army's uh, pharmacies program. And so it's, it gives you, it goes on and on actually, but uh, you got completely drugged uh, military out there, completely drugged. And these guys, once you came out of the military, they're addicted like crazy to all these drugs. Never mind the side effects and the, and the permanent side effects that a lot of them cause as well. Total war in D-Day. Total war. Now, it's bad enough that they're already eating GM uh, vegetables and so on, generally engineered, and generally modified fish is now on the table, uh, dinner table that says here. The U.S. decision after a 17-year battle over fast-growing salmon could pave the way for a same step in Britain, it says. And it says a GM salmon, which grows twice as fast as ordinary fish, could become the first genetically modified animal in the world to eat after America's powerful food safety watchdog ruled that posed no major health or environmental risks. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which is all in the take, of course, said it could not find any valid reasons to ban the production of GM with extra genes from two other fish species, a decision that could soon lead to its commercial production. The verdict clears one of the last remaining hurdles for the GM salmon to be lawfully sold and eaten in the U.S. and will put uh, uh, Britain and Europe. They're apparently going to follow suit. So I'll put this one up tonight. Two plus one, where they put human genes and rice growing in the U.S., <laughs> of all places. And uh, they, already, they already did it to pigs, mind you, in the 1970s. Do you know that? I mean, that's part of the giving you the finger. Who folk who like to eat that kind of stuff. Now, also, 
this article here is very interesting. It says, the overlooked costs of the permanent war economy. You don't even know why they want to really take your guns off at this step. I mean, they always want to do it, but at this particular step, because they know what's coming down. You're into austerity, you're, you're going to post consumerism. Your energy prices are soaring across the world. It's meant to do it all in queue. These public-private partnership deals where the public pay for everything, including the upkeep of all these big systems, and the boys who own it just rake in profits. So the overlooked cost of the, the permanent war economy, a market process approach, it says, how does the permanent war economy interact and subsume the private non-military economy? Can the two remain at a distance while sharing resource pools? The paper argues that they cannot. Once the U.S. embarked upon the path of permanent war, starting with World War II, the result was a permanent war economy. The permanent war economy continuously draws resources into the military sector at the expense of the private economy, even in times of peace. We explore the overlooked costs of this process, and the permanent war economy does not just transfer resources from the private economy, but also distorts and undermines the market process, which is ultimately responsible for improving and improvements in standards of living. And so PDF comes with it, and I'll put that up tonight too and let you peruse it. And it's from the GMU Working Paper in Economics number 12-51. Because this is the real reason. Americans haven't got a clue, and I really mean that, of the standards of living in Europe and and how folk are scrimping by, and how the the arguments in the homes as they break up are generally all about money. And not about extras, it's about basic things like rent, etc., that's where America is supposed to go. And they, have, they can't imagine it. And the, the big boys know there's going to be trouble. They know that. They know there'll be skirmishes here and there, and they don't want to be on the losing end of it. So they're getting ready for all. That's what's been, that's what they've been, they've been building of a private army inside America for 30 years, for goodness sake. Now, eugenics is a big, big thing today. I mean, getting back to the Frankfurt School and all these boys that brought in psychiatry, uh, at, because all the other cultures apparently were all patho, uh, pathological, basically, pathogenic societies, because they weren't the same as the, the culture that was coming in. That's why they called it that, you see. But um, they also brought in all these genetic reasons for the, why the people are all sick. And it wasn't the Germans that were the biggest uh, eugenicists, believe you me. The ones who rule this world today are the biggest eugenicists. And this article here is, is a, a, almost one of these happy, happy stories. It says, when the Francis Crick Institute opens next to London's St. Pancras Station in 2015, noblest Paul Nurse. Now, I've mentioned Paul Nurse before, who is one of the head of the Royal Society of Scientists in England who have been at basically you know, improving the race since its inception, but not the general people, uh, their own race. You know. And it, it says here um, that uh, it won't be just growing bacteria or mold or stem cells. As soon as someone becomes a star, universities to do everything to hold on to them, says Nurse, the 2001 Nobel Prize winner in physiology or medicine for work on cell cycle regulation and former president of the Rockefeller University, where else in New York. As soon as we have a star, we do everything to get rid of them. 
says nurses leading a four-year effort to build a facility at a cost of £600 million. And as she says here, the other estimate is £962 million. At 1 million square feet and with as many as 1,500 employees, including 1,250 scientists, he says the Crick Institute will become Europe's largest science research centre in one building. Now, the science they're going into, of course, is to do with genetics. And he actually says, he refers to this, he says, uh, he's leading the four-year program and so on. And he says his ambitions is for the eight-story Crick Institute to rival the United States Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. Contemplate to the, my uh, archives at cuttingthroughmedics.com. And I've done talks on the Eugenics Society of America. Again, Rockefeller funded it all up and funded the cash for the Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory, where they're going to uh, find ways to kill off all the dumb folk, the ones with bad genes. They even said that folk who can't get work have poverty genes, and so on and so on. And nurse, this guy nurse I'm talking about was opening up this English one, is a complete eugenicist and, and uh, elitist in his thinking. This is this can become a very attractive place, a magnet for international recruitment, said nurse, who still oversees a research lab and serves as president of the Royal Society, position once held by Isaac Newton. We will very rapidly turn into the same type of location as these other international institutions, and he's talking about eugenics institutions. And of course they come down with the usual stuff. Oh, we can find ways to stop cancer and all that. All the same, all rubbish. These guys are into eugenics folks to, to give longevity to themselves at least and how we bring down the rest of the population. Complete eugenicists. That's what it's about. And this other article too is to do with non-governmental organizations. There's thousands of these armies of NGOs making good livings and wages and retirement benefits. Uh, protesting governments who are simply waiting there to be protested by them, mind you, because they all know the same thing, in order to change what's left of society and guide it into the new society. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And just before I go to the caller, I'll put up this one too. NGOs plot wave of criminal referrals in order to legitimize the International Criminal Court. They're trying to bring it up to an international status for the world's global system. Now, I think there's Darren in Ireland hanging on there. Are you still there, Darren? Hello? Hello, Alan. How are you? Yes, gotcha. How was your assessment? Yes. Yeah, it was, it was a quiet one, yeah. Um, there's something I was reading by uh, Lord Chang. Um, it was one of them kind of treaties similar to Mac, where it predates about 2,000 years. And um, there's one part I just kind of want to read out, which is kind of fascinating because it's kind of the same topic that comes out up in a lot of other ancient texts. And it goes like this, and it's from Chapter 18, poli- uh, Policies. The one... The one who could con- conquer a strong army is he who regarded as his first task of conquering his own people. For in a way in which conquering his people is based upon re- regulating of people, like the effect of smelting in regard to metal, or the work of a potter in regard to clay, if the base is not solid, then the people are like flying birds and animals. And I was reading a lot of uh, uh, ancient scriptures and through the Quran and the Bible, and, and even in the Book of the Dead, it makes reference just to man being made from clay and... Uh, I was just wondering what your um, 
view is on that. In the Old Testament, there's always a bit of an esoteric, depending on which faith you're looking from, the, the, the whole thing. Um, most people think Adam. Adam means red, ruddy, from the humus, the earth. If you read Genesis, there's really two Genesis in there. One, the first one ends with God made man and woman. In his own image, he made them. Uh, perfectly, perfect image. In other words, he'd have the powers too. This is taught by another religion. Whereas, whereas the second Genesis, it goes on, it says, then it says, there's no one to till the soil, so God made Adam. So Adam, in other words, was made to be a worker, a toiler of the soil. And, uh, and so that's part of the, the meaning behind that, you know. So, uh, what's the next part that you asked there? Um, I, I just, I have one more question. Yeah, but I was, uh, kind of interested in names and people, people's names and, uh, I was reading a lot of stuff about uh, Native Americans, and even in older cultures, they always named people in regards to kind of something. You know, like names there are kind of meaningless, but even in the past, they actually meant something like there was more kind of emphasis in their name. And Do you think a name and a person can affect them down through life? And uh, I even see this in history with people's names, and it just kind of... Yeah, it does you, you'll, you'll find it when you follow to people the... Without them knowing. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, when you actually follow the whole history from, say, Mazzini, uh, who studied under Albert Pike, to, to uh, take over the World Revolutionary Party that, that turned into the Communist Party, um, you'll find a lot of these agents actually had names which fitted their purpose very, very succinctly. And um, they, they'd often adopt these names. Other, or, otherwise, their parents would actually change the name for the purpose of the family's mission. And sometimes they go two or through two or three generations with that particular mission. That was their part of the mission. And that still holds true today, by the way. There is a, such a thing as an inter- ongoing international uh, revolutionary body. Um, and they do have names often uh, go along with their function, their particular function, uh, and is intergenerational. So there's, there's no doubt about it. But in some of them changed it like Arm and Hammer. His dad changed it to the Arm and the Hammer for the communist flag. <laughs> but thanks for calling. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.